My friend Randy Mullins was beaten by his father until he was four years old, then taken away and placed in foster homes. Six or seven foster homes later, when Randy was 11, a foster parent put a picture of Randy, along with two other boys, in a couple of newspapers with the caption, Will you give one of these boys a home? The man who became Randy's last foster father saw those pictures and convinced his wife to take Randy and the two others in. Those three boys were the first of 39 kids that couple fostered. Not all at once, of course. Randy said there were usually six or seven kids living in the house at any given time, and that it was a big, happy family, everybody doing their share of chores, sharing meals, taking family trips and excursions. Randy said he considers that couple his real parents and that they saved his life. But one year, Randy's foster dad lost his job and couldn't find a new one. Medical bills sucked up all the family savings, meals got skimpier, and finally Randy's foster parents lost their house. Things got so desperate, the foster parents had to resort to taking the kids fishing at the bend in the river every day just to put food on the table. One afternoon, while the kids were fishing, a stranger approached Randy's foster parents. I've seen you down here a lot, so I asked around, said the stranger. You're that couple that's been fostering all those kids, aren't you? Right, nodded Randy's foster dad. I heard you lost your job and now you've lost your house, said the stranger. Where are you planning to live? Not rightly sure, answered Randy's foster dad. The stranger thought for a moment then said, Well, see that house over there on the bluff? He was pointing to a fancy-looking two-story farmhouse up across the river. That's my summer home, but I'll sell it to you for a dollar. And that's the house where Randy spent the rest of his youth. Last time we hinted about how this virus could possibly spur a renaissance of compassion and cooperation. Randy's story is just a reminder of what people are capable of doing for each other, of the kinds of things that can happen. Last time, I also proposed a plan to stop the virus in a matter of weeks. Dr. Harvey Feinberg, past president of the U.S. National Academy of Medicine, has a lot more credibility than I do, and on April 1st, he wrote an editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine titled, 10 Weeks to Crush the Curve. Notice he didn't say flatten the curve, he said crush it. Here's a summary of the six steps Dr. Feinberg suggested to mobilize and organize the nation and beat COVID-19 in 10 weeks. That's right, 10 weeks. One, establish a united national command under a commander who carries the full power and authority of the president to mobilize every civilian and military asset needed to win this war. Two, make millions of diagnostic tests available in the next two weeks. This was key to their success in South Korea. Every decision about managing cases depends on sound medical evaluation and the results of tests. We need to mobilize the nation's research laboratories to assist, and we need to organize dedicated clinical test sites in every community. Three, supply health workers with personal protective equipment and equip hospitals to care for a surge in severely ill patients. We wouldn't send soldiers into battle without ballistic vests. Health workers on the front lines deserve no less. Also, regional distribution centers should rapidly deploy ventilators and other needed equipment to hospitals with the greatest need. Four, differentiate the population into five groups and treat accordingly. Hospitalize the severely ill. 
establish infirmaries and say empty convention centers to care for those with mild or moderate disease to decrease transmission to family members. Convert now empty hotels into quarantine centers to separate those exposed from the general population for two weeks. Finally, identify those who were previously infected, have recovered, and are adequately immune. This would be a game changer in restarting parts of the economy more quickly and safely. Five, mobilize the public. This is an all-out effort. Everyone has a part to play. We need to harness the power of information technology, social media, artificial intelligence, and high-speed computing to devise novel solutions. After all health workers have the masks they need, the U.S. Postal Service and private companies should join to deliver surgical masks and hand sanitizer to every American household. If everyone wears a mask outside the home and keeps a six-foot distance, they will be less likely to spread the infection to others. There should be one-way-only aisles in supermarkets, pharmacies, and all big stores. Six, we need effective antiviral treatment and every plausible avenue should be investigated. Decisions to shape the public health response and restart the economy should be guided by science. Is it safe for people to return to work? Depends on the ongoing level of infection, on the possible exposures in the workplace, and on reliable screening and rapid detection of new cases. Can schools safely reopen? Depends on what we learn about children as transmitters to teachers, parents, and grandparents. How dangerous are contaminated spaces and surfaces? Depends on what we learn about the survival of the virus under different environmental conditions and on various materials. That's Dr. Feinberg's plan, and if we do it, we can relieve ourselves of avoidable loss and grief and be in a stronger position to help other countries, which we must do if we're going to save ourselves. If we persist with half measures, if we simply flatten the curve and go right back to work without all these other measures in place, we will create another spike in infections and deaths and create endless cycles of going in and out of quarantines. The day we start to act on Dr. Feinberg's plan, we can declare victory over this virus 10 weeks later. Dr. Feinberg's entire article will be linked to this podcast's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, so you can read it. I'll also condense it into a simple one-page plan we can all send around. Which brings us to a very big question. We have a plan to save America. How can we get it done? How do we get it enacted by the federal government? In 2004, 11 of my writer colleagues and I ran as a slate for the board of directors of the Writers Guild of America West. We discovered that the most effective way to campaign and get our messages out was to host gatherings of writers, break into groups of seven, then sit down in those smaller groups and talk about our ideas and plans. We then dubbed each of those seven writers captains and asked them to go out and talk to seven other writers, make them captains, encourage the next group of seven to do the same, etc. We won that election in a landslide with the largest turnout for a board election in the Writers Guild history. I understand that this is a much bigger task than that. This is a war against one of the biggest threats we've ever faced. What we need to do next in the battle to get this plan to save us enacted is a bombardment on a massive scale, and you and I are the bombardiers. If we're sheltering in place, we have the time. So get the plan from this podcast's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter account. Send a copy of the plan to everyone you know, every politically active organization you know, every governor, 
every U.S. senator, the CDC, FEMA, and the White House. Along with the plan, I'll make sure there's an easy-to-use list of all those officials' emails and contacts. In addition to that, I'd like to suggest that a power of sevens strategy, like the one we used for that election, can work in this situation too. If each of you listening to this podcast becomes a bombardier captain, sends the plan to save America to the White House, then through whatever your preferred way of connecting with others, send seven folks you know the plan and enlist them to be bombardier captains too. By the 10th level of sevens, we will have reached every human being in America. As we approach that point, our leaders, flooded with letters, cannot fail to respond. Next time, we'll talk about the all-important international component to this war. In the meantime, if you're wondering what happened to my friend Randy, here he is. Walk through this world with me. Go where I go. Share all your dreams with me. I love you so. In life we search And some of us find I've searched for you A long, long time And now that I've found you New horizons I see Come take my hand and walk through this world with me. Come take my hand and walk.